Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Asher, asher, asher yishletu Asher yishletu ha-yehudim Heimo b'soyneihem V'noi, v'noi ha-bechu Asher, asher, asher yishletu Asher yishletu ha-yehudim
Oi, why did you die? Oi, why did you die? Why did you die? Pardon me, sir, but I've been watching you here at the grave for over a half hour. I guess the deceased was a close relative. No, I never met him. Oi, why did you die? Why did you die? I beg your pardon, sir. You say you never met him and you carry on like this. And tell me, who is buried here? My wife's first husband. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. It's the month of Adar, everybody. If you didn't know it, you know it now. Wednesday morning with uh, Yehuda and the Tzor Yisrael. Milo Cohn had been a hapohu. Besimcha done by Ari Goldwag. Yaakov Shweki's Netzach Yisrael, Eitan Katz, brand new with the title track from Ashrecha. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Wednesday and it's March 13th, the 6th of Adar 2. Good morning, everybody. The year 5779. Tough Shinai and Tess. Uh, 32 degrees, mostly cloudy and a high temperature of 49. Then tonight, cloudy skies, a low of 40. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high 56. All right. Get into some real numbers tomorrow. 68 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 32 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Alan Fagan's going to join us, Executive Vice President at the uh, OU, Orthodox Union. Plenty to talk about as he celebrates his fifth anniversary with the organization. And this listenership has certainly been the beneficiaries, uh, among many others, of his leadership, and we'll explain coming up. want to thank our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms. A reminder that last week... As we were on the road in Israel, we were brought to you by Aaron's Casino Farms out in Queens. If you haven't yet had an opportunity to experience the shopping experience at Aaron's, we are highly recommending it. It's one that I have undertaken quite often. Uh, Aaron's Casino Farms. Uh, make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. We'll have more uh, details about what they are able to provide for everybody coming up. Um, in the next couple of weeks here at JM the AM. So we thank them for that. Um, full day here, as you would expect, on the network. Lots going on. So glad you are with us and uh, ready to continue with some amazing music, plenty of information, news, etc., etc. It is all happening on this, a Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Shoshana Siako
sich.
Chaim Hila Machazikim
חדש וזכרך, מלכנו יספוח. בשמיים, בשמיים ממעל ועל לאורץ מתוכס. שימחוש השם, מלכנו יספוח. מלכנו יספוח. דרך, וכל אחד מבידי על, לאן 
Thank <laughs> you. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Shalshelis Jr. I'm Yisrael Chai, Shlomo Katz, and Shoshanas Yaakov in this month of Adar 2 uh, from the Ismach Melech album. Hey Ha, brand new from a gentleman named Uzi Bodner here at J.M. in the A.M. Shimcha, that was Gershon Veroba, Mordechai and David in there with Eitz Chaim and uh, Eitan Katz, Ki Karov, one of the brand new ones off the album Ashrecha here at JM in the AM. Oh, yeah, and we started the set with Ruach Shoshana Siakov here in the month of Adar 2. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up and plenty more, of course. Today's a big day for High Lifeline. It's day two of their two-day, 48-hour campaign. To enlist, literally, that's what they call it, um, thousands and thousands of people to be supporters of their incredible efforts. Support High Lifeline, go to their website, and enlist today. Become one of their great supporters. And everything you give today will be doubled. Keep that in mind. Galitzal in the background, Galitzal, Israel Army Radio. 2 p.m., a 1 p.m. newscast for a Wednesday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JMNAM. ולצהל מירושלים השעה אחת, שלום רב, כאן רני אבנאי עם מה שקורה עכשיו. רצח בלוד. צעירה בת 18 נורתה למוות מרכב חולף מספר ימים לפני חתונתה. סבא בן 64 נפצע קל. כתובתנו עדה שטייף מעדכנת שהמשטרה ממשיכה בחקירת האירוע. סמך סלי מה, פעילה חברתית נגד רצח נשים, 
שהכירה את הצעירה טוענת ביומן הצהריים, המשטרה ידעה על האיומים, אך לא עשתה דבר. משטרת ישראל ידעה שהאישה הזאת, שהנערה הזאת, היא נמצאת בסכנה. היא הייתה במשטרת ישראל לפני כמה ימים, ועשו איזשהו הסכם עם כמה אנשים ומכובדים כביכול, והחזירו אותה ארבעה ימים לפני הרצח שלה. משטרת ישראל ידעה שהנערה הזאת בסכנת חיים ממשית. ומהמשטרה נמסר בתגובה שהוצעה לצעירה הגנה, אך היא סירבה בתוקף וטענה שהכל בסדר. בחירות 2019, חילופי דברים בין שר החינוך בנט ליושב ראש כחול לבן גנץ, כתבתנו טל זרביב. אם לאנשי החמאס הייתה זכות בחירה, הם היו מצביעים לבני גנץ, גנרל ההססנות. מי שהצהיר שהוא סיכן את חיי חיילי צה"ל למען מוסריות מזויפת, מוטב שיחזור לשתיקתו. כך השר בנט בתגובה ליושב ראש כחול לבן, שקרא לבנט להתפטר מתפקידו כשר חינוך בעקבות דבריו בגלי צה"ל, בהם אמר באותו משפט כי הוא רוצה להילחם בחמאס. ובבג"ץ. נמשכים השיבושים ברכבת ישראל, וזאת למרות הודעת הוועד על הפסקת העיצומים. כתבנו אליאב בטיטו מציין כי בשעות האחרונות, בפער של דקות בודדות, הודיעו מספר נהגי קטר על מחלה פתאומית. יניב לוי, יושב ראש אגף ההסברה בהסתדרות, אמר בגלי צה"ל, הנהלת הרכבת בעיבוד עשתונות מוחלט לקראת פרסום דוח מבקר המדינה. אני מצר על התנהגות הנהלת הרכבת. במקום לחבק את העובדים, במקום להבין שהם הנכס האנושי והחשוב ביותר לחברה, בכל יום מחדש הם מנסים להכפיש אותם, הם מנסים לפגוע בהם. שוב, ניסיון נואש של הנהלת הרכבת להפסיד את האש כלפי העובדים. במקום להתכונן ולהיערך לדוח, לדוח החמור שהולך להתפרסם בשעות הקרובות. רכבת ישראל נמצאת במצב קשה. העובדים עם הפתרון הם לא הבעיה. וברכבת ישראל אמרו בתגובה, ועד הרכבת פועל בצורה פראית. אם העיצומים יימשכו, לא יהיה מנוס מביטול רכבות נוסעים. 40% מהאימהות החד-הוריות מוותרות על טיפולים רפואיים ותרופות בשל מצבן הכלכלי. כך עולה מסקר שמתפרסם היום. רובן נאלצות לוותר גם על ביגוד וחוגים לילדיהן. כתבנו ניר שוויד. מהסקר שערכה קרן ידידות טורונטו עולה שכ-80% מהאימהות החד-הוריות מוותרות על פעילויות תרבות, פנאי וחופשות. מחציתן נאלצות לוותר על חוגים, ו-40% מהן נאלצות לוותר על טיפולים רפואיים ותרופות בשל מצבן הכלכלי. כשנשאלו אילו מהלכים היו מקלים עליהם, רוב הנשאלות השיבו שהיו רוצות בביטול התלות בין גובה הקצבה להכנסתן. עומסים חריגים נרשמים גם הבוקר במחלקות הפנימיות בבתי החולים ברחבי הארץ. כתבנו מאיר מרציאנו. חולים רבים מאושפזים הבוקר במסדרונות בתי החולים. 133 אחוזי תפוסה במחלקות הפנימיות של הלל יפה בחדרה. בבית החולים לגליל בנהריה 130 אחוזים. וברמב״ם שבחיפה 110 אחוזי תפוסה. במרכז הארץ צפוף לא פחות. שיבא תל השומר עם 123 אחוזי תפוסה. וולפסון עם 120, ואסף הרופא עם 116 אחוזים. מזג האוויר חם מהרגיל, אחר הצהריים יחדור אוויר קריר לאזורנו, תנשבנה רוחות חזקות, גשם יחל לרדת בערב בצפון, ויתפשט במהלך הלילה עד לצפון הנגב. שימו לב, חשש לשיטפונות בבקעת הירדן ובמדבר יהודה. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד. Thank you. 
עצמי שוב בסלון, מגרגרות גוגל מוגלת מעט הגרון. אם אין אני לי מילים, וכשאני לעצמי שתעשה בשביל אחר, והוא למענך, שתיגע בכל כוכב, תטפס על כל שלב, שתישאר צעיר לנצח, שתגדל להיות צודק, שתדע לראות האור, ולמצוא את האמת בתוך החושך הגדול, שתמיד תהיה חזק, ותשחק את המשחק, שתישאר צעיר לנצח. שידיך עסוקות, צעדיך מהירים, שיהיה ביתך יציב מול רוחות השינויים, שבלבך תהיה שמחה, שישירו את שירך, שתישאר 
Next case, Mrs. Esther Feldman. Coming, Your Highness! <laughs> what can this court do for you, Mrs. Feldman? I'll tell you what this court can do for me. Could give me a divorce for my Jaime. <laughs> a divorce? How old are you, Mrs. Feldman? I should live and be well, uh, but ten days after next Hanukkah, I'll be 84. Ken <laughs> Mrs. Feldman. Tell me, how long have you been married? 58 years. 58 years and you want a divorce? Why? Why? Enough is enough. J.M. in the A.M. It's Adar. 
We smile, we laugh together every morning and all day long with the Nahum Segal Network. It's Wednesday, and it's March 13th, the 6th of Adar 2. Good morning, everybody. Last week's NSN on the Road in Israel, sponsored by Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. It's Aaron's Casino Farms. And make sure to walk in there in Queens to uh, see the brand new Hava Java, which is um, being completed inside Aaron's Casino Farms. And of course, do some pre Purim shopping as well. You're not going to find uh, too many better places than Aaron's to do all your pre Purim shopping that I could tell you. So check it out today and enjoy. Believe me, you will. Alan Fagan's going to join us, Executive Vice President of the OU. He'll be in studio coming up, talk about his fifth anniversary at the uh, organization. Um, We should pay careful attention to which government officials are reaching out during this time of anti-Semitic incidents and anti-Semitic rhetoric, even in our own United States House of Representatives. With that in mind, I call your attention to a rally Uh, with Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and community leaders speaking out at a rally against anti-Semitism this coming Sunday at 2 p.m. in front of Asphalt Green. Uh, There was an anti-Semitic episode, a hate crime, at Asphalt Green last week, and that's why this location has been chosen. This Sunday, 2 p.m., York Avenue and 91st Street in Manhattan, and we urge everybody to be there. York Avenue, 91st Street in Manhattan with Congresswoman uh, Carolyn Maloney, and again, keep track of who's appearing at these types of events and who's avoiding these types of events. Very important to remember that. Uh, this coming Sunday, join the twins from France and Uncle Maishi for an amazing Purim show. Um, oh, you know what? <laughs> I got to find out what the location is for this Sunday. Once, once we do that, I'll, be, I'll make sure to give you the information. Speaking of rallies, the Queens Jewish Community Council, the Vada Rabbanum of Queens, ZOA, the Queens Jewish Link, the Bukharian Jewish Link, and ABA, all ask everybody, all of them ask everybody to rally and stand up for the Jewish people and speak out against anti-Semitism. This coming Sunday, 1 p.m., rain or shine at the Vly Place Library in Kew Gardens Hills. There'll be elected officials there. Religious uh, leaders will be there speaking as well. Again, it's in Queens, 1 o'clock, Vly Place Library in Kew Gardens Hills. Rally to stand up for the Jewish people and speak out against anti-Semitism. Um, information, I guess just check out the Queens Jewish link. And all the info will be there. want to wish a mazel tov to the uh, honorees this coming Sunday night at the NCSY dinner, including guests of honor Jeannie and Steve Savitsky. Information, go to the NCSY website and get your uh, reservations in for Sunday night. Um, and again, we wish a mazal tov to all the honorees. Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at JM and the AM, we're going to be at the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy and the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. Tuesday, Tuesday morning, this coming Tuesday morning again, we'll be at the Kushner Yeshiva High School and the uh, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, um, a pre-Purim visit, celebration, special live broadcast. No doubt it'll be a lot of fun, and we're going to meet a lot of great people 
and uh, see one of the uh, most amazing active schools in our community in action this coming Tuesday. So make sure to be tuned in as we hit the road and go to the Kushner Schools this coming Tuesday. Yet another amazing live presentation for all of us here at JM in the AM. Yaakov Shweki's next. We're giving Rabbi Goldwasser the morning off, 7.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. You're listening to JM in the AM. Make good, they should leave it up 
J.M. in the A.M. with the New York Boys Choir, Venahapo Hu, in this month of Adar 2. Just over a week away from the great holiday of Purim. Amazing, huh? Mordechai Shapiro before that was Schar Mitzvah. You heard Amram Adar and Yerushalayim. And Yaakov Shweki opened up the set with Harei At off the album Musica here at J.M. in the A.M. Reminder, this coming Tuesday, we're at the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy in Kushner Yeshiva High School in Livingston, New Jersey. We're broadcasting Purim Week Tuesday morning in advance of Tanis Esther and Purim from one of the great schools in our Yeshiva League that no doubt is going to be in the Purim spirit, getting ready for a great holiday. And uh, we get to uh, share all of that with you via these airwaves is coming Tuesday morning. So Kushner, get ready for the Nahum Siegel Network and JM in the AM as we get set to visit Livingston, New Jersey on Tuesday morning of next week. And as I said, I am sure it'll only help us lead up to a great Purim celebration and a wonderful week on the air here at JM in the AM, 13 minutes before the hour at JM in the AM. And Alan Fagan, Executive Vice President of the Orthodox Union, the OU, is with us in studio this morning here at JM in the AM. He is celebrating, and frankly, we are celebrating his fifth anniversary in this position. It is not easy with his schedule to get him in studio, but we finally designated a date, and this morning is the opportunity to speak with him Live and in person, Alan Fagan, welcome and thanks for joining us at JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Delighted to be here. Five years. Five years. Now, we're happy because you've given us a million opportunities over the last five years, and I thank you for that right off the bat. But in addition to that, there's a lot to celebrate in our community, and you have really overseen some incredible developments at the OU and in the the Orthodox world. And uh, frankly, I have a whole list, and we'll go through some of them here this morning. At JM in the AM. Are you, earlier this morning, we spent time mentioning to this audience that we should all carefully look at those government and public officials and how they are reacting to the recent atmosphere of anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic episodes, anti-Semitism even on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives in terms of anti-Semitic talk. Are you satisfied and is your, I guess, Department of Government Affairs satisfied with the way that our public officials are responding to this most recent crisis? I, I, I'm not satisfied at all. <clears throat> what we saw in the last round of comments by various younger members of Congress and the reaction of the leadership uh, in Congress was classic avoidance. Anti-Semitism needed to be called out. It needed to be called out separately. It needed to be called out vigorously. And that didn't happen. We were delighted that there was a resolution We were very pleased about that. We got great cooperation from the leadership, particularly the Democratic uh, leadership. I think most of them wanted to do the right thing. And then the politics of the country took over. And what we saw was a resolution that really was watered down, not in terms of how it stood up to anti-Semitism, but in the fact that it didn't call out these anti-Semitic acts and statements as a separate and virulent form of 
of, of racism. All racism is wrong and needs to be called out. But what we're seeing today is a resurgence of a phenomenon uh, that uh, the likes of which uh, we have we have not seen in in uh, thank God in decades. I'm so glad we started with this because I I think it's so important to, that this audience hear your reaction to my question on this topic. They also may not realize that you have an entire department that spends day and I would argue night constantly fighting these issues and speaking with those in Washington who are influential about these and other issues. Yes. We have our office uh, in Washington. We also have operations in uh, six states. We tend to focus primarily uh, on the issue of financial sustainability for yeshivot and day schools in right. our local operations. Uh, but our office in Washington has, has been fully engaged in this issue over the last uh, weeks, and we will continue to do that. Now, we... We want to see coalitions, bipartisan, across the board in speaking out against anti-Semitism. And, and so we welcome the resolutions that have been passed. It's a start. But we also need to recognize that this issue is different. It's different because of history. It's different because of culture. It's different because it comes from left and right. And it needs to be treated in that way. And it's different because it's being excused in many cases. It's, it's being excused and it's hiding behind a facade of those that would quarrel with Israeli foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And so it's much, much easier now. If, if, if you utter a racial epithet, it's clear. When you talk about Israel's rights and Israel's foreign policy, and how it should conduct that foreign policy, and you talk about Americans and how they support the state of Israel, those are political statements that are easy to camouflage. And I think that's what we're seeing now, is those that are engaging in that kind of conduct are camouflaging it behind statements that seem to be political, and those who are refusing to call out that conduct mm -hmm. are hiding behind the fact that everyone has free speech rights and ought to be able to express themselves politically. And, and in fairness, that dividing line can sometimes be a little bit gray. Mm -hmm. And people are exploiting that grayness. Alan Fagan is here, Executive Vice President of the OU. You're, you're in this position for five years, and you might be the person best in our community to, in fact, endorse the saying that the more things change, the more things stay the same. You've seen in five years issues that are literally still being fought after half a decade later and probably will be fought over, I should say, you know, for time either immemorial or certainly a, the length of, uh, certainly a certain length of time to come. And at, the, and at the same time, you've seen a lot of new things arise. You've seen new challenges in our community nationwide and different things that our community is facing that are either facing or addressing uh, that are really key. <coughs> Um, is there anything that comes to mind immediately when I ask about either the greatest accomplishment or what you're most proud of in the last five years? Well, that's a very tough question to, uh, <clears throat> to answer <clears throat> because you can answer it 
both on the micro level and on the macro level. Right. If I had to point to the micro, and, and micro is enormously important because in the times that we're living in, we're, we're fighting for Jewish souls. We're fighting to keep our community Jewish. I think one of the things that I'm proudest of is a very small program that we began two years ago in the NCSY Colel that you know intimately and have broadcast from. We embedded in the NCSY Colel that brings together every summer hundreds of our finest young men from top quality yeshivas across the United States and Canada. We, we embedded 15 public school teens mm -hmm. in a machina program. We didn't know how it was going to work. We didn't know if it was going to work at all. Put 15 kids with no background whatsoever together with the strongest, most enthusiastic guys with 12 years of day school education under their belts. And it worked amazingly. They were accepted as family and they started to learn. Of that original group of 15, three of them had never had a bar mitzvah. Three of them couldn't read Aleph Beis. That's how lost this generation is. You know, it used to be 20 years ago or 25 years ago, NCSY would, would be dealing with kids who we would find in shuls, very often right. in conservative shuls, but they knew what Shabbos was. They knew what Yamim Tovim were. They could read. They could daven. They knew the songs. <laughs> they knew the songs. They knew the smells. They, they, they were living a, a, a full and reasonably rich Jewish life. Now when we go into public schools, we're dealing with kids who have never stepped foot inside a synagogue, right. ever. Kids who've never had a bar mitzvah. And whose parents may not have. And whose parents may not have and don't even have a Bubby and a Zadie right. whose Seder they went to. Right. That's how gone we're finding current teens in unaffiliated homes. So we take these 15 guys. A courageous move for the three that have no knowledge. Courageous for them. Yeah, and for you, frankly. And, 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 and for us. Right. And we weren't sure what was going to gonna happen. I can imagine. Ten of the 15 were rising seniors. They were going to graduate right. that following year. Of the ten rising seniors, seven of them are now, right now, at this moment, in Israel, learning in yeshiva. <laughs> seven out of ten. And, and I think the lesson there is that we can do this. It takes unbelievable resources, and it takes the, the incredible work of incredibly talented staff, but no one is lost. We can reach everyone, and we can reach them on their terms and without being judgmental, and we can open up their lives to the beauty that we all recognize, the beauty of our 
Jewish faith and our Jewish identity. I'm so glad you noted this is one of your great accomplishments, frankly, because this is a an example. Th- these are role models, and I refer in this case to the NCSY Kolel, uh, role models for how all of us need to and can reach out to those who are completely unaffiliated. Um, how, I mean, it must have been a very uncomfortable transition for those who knew nothing about, uh, you know, who, who did not know Aleph Bays and were not, it was, was it an uncomfortable transition at the beginning, a very tough one or not? You know, I sat with, with all of them. They were fine. They're fine. <laughs> they, they were fine. They, when you put them together with other kids and, and keep in mind, they're learning in the morning, they're playing ball in the afternoon, right. they're going on trips in the evening. They're following the same sports teams. They're wearing the same clothing. They have a lot in common. They've got a lot in common. At the end of the day, they're young Jewish teens, and mm-hmm. they were embraced like family. You also might suspect that um, in this country, we'll leave Israel to the side for a moment, but in this country, uh, there are so many amazing distractions. When I say amazing, I mean enticing in many good ways and some in many bad ways, of course, to get the attention of teenagers. It is remarkable to think that these teens, with really everything at their fingertips, would want to dedicate themselves to Torah study in Israel or dedicate themselves to immersing themselves in you know, a day of prayer and Torah study and ball and everything else at NCSY Kolel. And I think that's another thing that often blocks our, our thinking on this. We, we're always thinking, you know, why on earth would a public school kid in this country want to give up or alter their schedule from all the great things they have and you know, and attract themselves or, or, or be part of this. And sure enough, whether we can explain it or not, the proof is in the pudding and they go ahead and do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can explain right. it other than uh, I, I never, until I took this job, I, I never quite understood the concept of the Pintaliate. Right. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a word. <laughs> No matter how small that spark might be. And no matter how small <laughs> that spark might be, it can blaze. And it's a question of having talented people who know how to fan that flame. Uh, you, you, you know our wonderful Yarche, yep, Yarche Kala program sure. uh, in the winter where we bring together uh, public school teens from across the country, hundreds, in, in record hundreds numbers, of them, yeah. who give up their Christmas break. Right. Uh, in order to learn Torah for a week. You walk in to that room where they're sitting. It looks like a giant base medrash, and you've got hundreds of teens hunched over Svarim, and they're sitting and learning, and the sound of that room is no different than the sound of any wonderful base medrash anywhere in the country. And I'm thinking of walking over to them and saying, you know, you could be skiing in Vail right now. You know that? You could even be in the Alps probably with your with the way your parents vacation. Do you realize that? And you're giving up that week in order to sit and study and, Torah. And, and they're doing it voluntarily right. and they're doing it joyfully and uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to see. So so when, when, when you ask about things that I'm proud of, uh, on, on, on the level of person to person, I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Uh, we've also, on, on, a, on a broader level, uh, started some wonderful new programs over the last several years. Uh, many of them uh, uh, you're intimately uh, familiar with. By the way, I should say, uh, Nachum, when I reflect on the last five years, uh, and, and I think about our travels together, <laughs> uh, and how much of what has happened at, at the OU over the last five years, you and the network have been 
not just intimately involved with, uh, but a real force in moving forward. And I remember in particular those terrible days of, of Hurricane Harvey mm. uh, when we were trying very, very hard to do something positive for the Houston community. You were up to your eyeballs in, in, in doing that and helping us uh, uh, to raise what turned out to be uh, uh, $1.6 million for that community. Uh, all of the Chesed missions that we've now run to, to help there and in Puerto Rico and uh, uh, New Orleans and elsewhere. <coughs> Your visits every year to, uh, to Yom NCSY, we've, uh, we've been through uh, a, a lot uh, over the last several years and we're deeply, deeply grateful. But we've, we've started some, some wonderful new programming over the last few years. Uh, one that, uh, or two that I feel very, very proud of. Uh, one is our women's initiative, uh, which is creating magnificent new programming uh, geared toward uh, the women of our community, learning opportunities, leadership uh, opportunities, Last Shavuos, for example, uh, we sponsored a program uh, to make certain that there were female scholars presenting on Leil Shavuos. Uh, and it was uh, uh, met with enormous uh, success. We had 65 or 70 shuls participating uh, in, that, uh, in that program. And as a result, <coughs> we're able to expose up-and-coming women scholars uh, to shuls who had never had that opportunity. And now we get notes from those women constantly uh, saying, as a result of that appearance, uh, I've now gotten multiple calls to come and be a scholar in residence, to give a lecture, and so on. So we're very, very, uh, very, very pleased with uh, the results of our, of our women's initiative. The other thing that we've started recently is our new OU Center for Communal Research. Hmm. Uh, this is a brand new program, uh, and, and, and here's the genesis of, of the program. W one of the things that I think I've learned over the last uh, five years uh, is that not-for-profits generally, and Jewish not-for-profits certainly among them, tend not to focus on strategic planning and strategic development of programs and policies the way a good sound business would go about doing that. That is based on data, based on information, as opposed to managing by anecdote. Uh, and I thought that was a real gap at the OU. We, we talk about our community, you talk about it constantly, I talk about it constantly, but we talk about it very much from our own personal perspectives, mm -hmm. what we see, what we hear, people that you interview, but without having real data at our fingertips. We're now gonna collect the kind of data that's necessary, necessary to evaluate our programs and see how we're doing in a, in a real objective way to figure out the parts of our programs that are working well and the parts that are not working well, to double down on those that are working well, to modify the ones that aren't, based on objective data and information that we can gather. 
and at the same time to better understand our community, to understand its economics, to understand its dynamics, to understand its attitudes, so that we can plan our programming out into the future by meeting the needs that we recognize, not because we happen to see it at Kiddush on Shabbos morning, but because we have real substantial data and information. So we have now uh, uh, brought on uh, a guy named Matt Williams, uh, who is an extraordinary social science researcher. <clears throat> He's about to finish his PhD at Stanford to head this effort. Uh, we have a wonderful woman, uh, uh, Dr. Shane, uh, who comes to us from Brandeis, uh, where she's a professor. Uh, we're in the process of hiring additional staff, and they will be, over the next several months, uh, beginning a whole series of studies of our community so that we can understand it better and begin to make much more intelligent uh, decisions about the kinds of programs and policies that uh, uh, that we ought to be pursuing. Alan Fagan in studio, executive vice president of the OU. I'm I'm already curious, like where this could lead. Um, is, is there an example you can give us if we if we see that the trend numerically, you know, if the figures tell us that there's X trend, then we at the OU will pivot, you know, in in Y way. Like, could you give me an example of what you'd be looking for and what Mr. Williams and his associates might tell you that would alter things at the OU. Sure. L l let, me, let me give you two. The first, perhaps, uh, in, 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 uh, in gross, um, some of the things that I think we really need to think about. The projections are, at least from some demographers, that by the end of this century, so we're talking about 80 years from now, right? the Orthodox population will surpass all other Jews combined in the United States. Mm -hmm. Right now, the Orthodox population is somewhere between 10 and 12% of American Jewry. Now, imagine a day when the Orthodox population is the majority of American Jewry. Projections are that in 40 years, there will be more Orthodox Jews in the United States than Reform and conservative Jews combined. That's an incredible statistic. Not clear whether it's accurate. Demography is a projection. Is a is a is exactly that. It's right. a, it's a prediction. A dozen things could affect that prediction, but if if those predictions hold. What are the implications of that, of a world in which the majority of Jews in the United States are Orthodox? Just start to play through in your mm -hmm. own mind. What does that mean for us as a community? What kind of planning do we need to do as a result of that? What kind of communal planning do we need to do in terms of the growth and development of our own institutions? What kind of planning do we need to do politically to think about a world uh, where Jewish presence in the United States is overwhelmingly orthodox, particularly a world where many orthodox Jews identify uh, uh, Republican and the rest of the Jewish world tends to identify Democratic, 
there's a whole lot of planning that needs to be done if the efforts that we're engaged in uh, are going to be and continue to be bipartisan efforts, certainly as they relate to Israel. And how do we start to think about what our obligations will be to the rest of the Jewish community in a world where the non-Orthodox community is no longer the majority, but is now a minority community within American Jewry? Right. What are our obligations today to be preparing for that moment 40 years from now? Which sounds like a very long time. <laughs> but as we know, But as we not. know, it's not. <laughs> And, and certainly in the span of Jewish history, it's, it's not. Right. So, so we're, we're, we're looking down the barrel of cataclysmic changes in, in the composition of the American Jewish community. And we need to plan for that. I don't know that, that there are organizations that spend the kind of time and effort that we want to spend thinking about those kinds of issues about how the world is going to look five years from now, 10 years from now, or 50 years from now. And those are enormous, enormous uh, uh, obligations. Will they be able to tell you uh, about some of the things happening in our community today? I'll give you an example of what I mean. I mean, would they be able to tell you data-wise, again, only anecdotally until this point, but data-wise that there are, I don't know, uh, that there's a significant percentage of public, of Jewish public school youth in this country whose families would prefer if the kids were involved in more Jewish programming. Because if you were told, data-wise, that they had very little interest, and it was a very small, then you would probably act a certain way. But if you were told that there's, I don't know, you know, 30% of all Jewish families in public school around the country would prefer to their kids had more of a Jewish edge than, than NCSY and the, all the related activities would, would step up in a much different way, right? Sure. And those are certainly, certainly the kinds of... Uh, uh, the kinds of studies that we want to be doing. Uh, we're not going to have enough enough staff and enough resources right. to, to do them all and to do them immediately. Uh, but certainly over the next year or two, three, uh, we hope to be doing uh, studies exactly of that type. But not just looking at the question of what parents might do or, 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 or could think about uh, or might doing, want. but also looking at what is it that captures the attention of these kids so that when we design programs, we're designing them with the kids in mind? Just a simple, <laughs> simple example. Uh, you, you said earlier, and it's so true, that uh, you know, kids now behave with their fingers. Right. Um, and it's absolutely true, the amount of time mm -hmm. uh, that kids, teens, certainly... And adults. <laughs> are, and adults are spending in front of a screen uh, and punching little buttons mm -hmm. is, is extraordinary. That's where they're getting their information from. And so we've just now begun uh, thinking very, very seriously uh, about all of our digital media efforts. How do we create methods of engagement with kids that utilize the platforms that they communicate on? Uh, which is almost exclusively virtual. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we then convert those experiences into much more meaningful face-to-face -face, uh, experiences? So we're going to want to look at that. We're going to want to look at, at, at patterns of belief and attitudes toward religion. 
what is it in the in the religious experience that that's captivating what is it in the religious experience that's not why are some people getting turned off from attending shul and what is it that's bringing people into shul all of those kinds of things are critical for us as 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 we think about uh, how to further the interests of the community. To me, it seems that you had this data-driven initiative in mind when you started. Would that be fair? That, that five years ago you were already thinking five years down the line that at some point this has got to be implemented? Yes. Look, I, I, I came from the private sector. Right. Uh, the OU has got a long and, and, and uh, magnificent history of being led by rabbis. Right. Uh, that has enormous advantages coming from the private sector has its own advantages. And for many years, I ran one of the largest law firms in the world. Wow. Uh, and law firms run on data. Any major business runs on data. You can't... When, when I got to the OU, uh, the way we would decide whether a program was working well or not was at the end of a program, you'd get four letters from kids saying, thank you very much, you changed my life. Okay? Now, and you're not minimizing that. And I'm not minimizing that right. at all. Right. I mean, that's really serious stuff, right. and it's enough to put a smile on your face that will last for months, because that's what it's all about. Right. But it doesn't tell you whether what you've accomplished was something with those four kids or whether you've accomplished something with the 26,000 kids that we're currently working with. When, right. I, when, I, when I started at the OU, our NCSY, for example, was, was, had about 15,000 kids that they work with each year. It's been a 50% increase. It's about double. It's, now, it's now about 26,000, close to double. Uh, yeah, much more than The number of kids that. that we take to Israel over the summer has doubled. Right. Uh, in that five, number's in insane. In five years. Uh, I'd like to see it double again in the next five. Uh, so all of that requires a, a level of sophistication. Now that we've gotten as big as we've gotten right. and, and have the number of programs that we have, requires a level of sophistication. If we don't bring to the enterprise that same kind of sophistication that a serious company would bring to the development of its own business, then I think we're shortchanging the uh, uh, the community. The, the The same is true in our political uh, efforts. Uh, when I started, most of our lobbying was fairly traditional Jewish organization kind of lobbying. We'd, we'd put 30 or 40 people on a bus, we'd drive up to Albany, we'd wander the halls, we'd take some pictures, we'd shake hands, and we'd say thank you very much. Uh, that doesn't work in, in if we really want to get the job done. Uh, so we now have, over the last five years, built a political apparatus with the finest lobbyists that we can hire, with grassroots get-out-the-vote uh, mechanisms in place, with a large staff, uh, with the public relations machinery that's necessary to surround all of that, with pairing our lay leadership with elected officials so that they establish relationships, not just in Brooklyn and in Queens, but throughout the state. We've done all of those things, and the results have really paid off. 
Uh, I just came back uh, uh, late last night. I was in Albany for the last two days. So they're in the midst of their budget process now. Right. The budget will be finalized in the next several weeks. And we've been av advocating uh, for greater aid to uh, yeshivot and day schools. I think we're going to see a very substantial increase this year. Specifically for security or across the board? We're going to see a substantial increase for security. And the governor has been really at the forefront of that. We owe him an enormous amount of uh, credit and gratitude. Uh, I think we're going to see a, a significant expansion in security funding. We already have gotten uh, uh, a $60 million allocation from Homeland Security at the federal level uh, for security. Uh, but I'm talking now about direct aid to uh, yeshivot and day schools. What we've been pushing for in the last three years has been state funding of STEM education. Right. Uh, we started uh, that program two years ago, 2017. Mm -hmm. The funding doubled last year, and I think we're going to look this year at more than doubling it uh, yet again. We've, we've gotten very, very good reactions in Albany uh, to this program, uh, enormously important. So we're, we're, we're just beginning to move the needle. But that also requires an effort that's well-organized, an effort that's professional, that's well-funded, and that we throw ourselves into in the same way that a serious business would throw itself into achieving a result that was really critical to its success. Alan Fagans here, Executive Vice President of the OU. It, it, was this something, not to, be, not to bring up too sensitive a, a topic, is this something that was met with a lot of skepticism among those who were used to the old system? Was your new system, not very new, you would say, just simply a little bit more corporate, a little bit more organized, a little <laughs> bit more data-driven, was was that met with, uh, with a big question mark from some of the people around the boardroom table? No. Really? No. I don't, I don't think there was uh, skepticism. Uh, I think there was skepticism not about trying it. I think there was skepticism about whether we would be successful. Um, and you know as well as I do that nothing nothing breeds success like success. Right. Uh, and we got off to a very, very good start. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some good early victories. Uh, and then we were able to capitalize on that success through the help of some really extraordinary lay leaders in, in multiple communities uh, around the state uh, and some very, very generous donors uh, who are fully behind uh, uh, this effort. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't think that there was um, uh, a lot of skepticism. In fact, I, th I think that everyone was sort of waiting, uh, taking a deep breath and saying, we know we have to do this. We're right. just not quite sure how we go about doing it. Um, and I think that there was a real desire, not just in the political arena, but, but across the board at the OU, to professionalize our operations, to recognize that we had gotten to be so big that we had to run on a very, very different basis than we had. Does any of this affect or benefit the Kashrus Department? Does any of this data-driven philosophy, I don't know, play into what the Kashrus Department finds out about the kosher consumer, or about the way their products are viewed nationwide? Any of this help? Sure. Uh, you know, 
uh, Kashrus was way out in front sure. of managing their business uh, uh, on a on a data driven basis. The technology that they use, for example, uh, in Kashrus, that allows complete interaction between customers and the enormous Kashrus database. You know, if, if you're if you're a plant in I don't know Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and you're making cookies, and you want to now start a line of new cookies, right? And you've got 46 ingredients in those cookies. You can, with the press of a couple of buttons, <laughs> figure out which of those ingredients are kosher and which are not, and of the ones that are not, where you can source them, how you can source them, who manufactures them, and what certifications they have. It's it's um, uh, really a, a, an extraordinary uh, uh, operation. You know, last week, we one of the broadcasts we did from Israel was at Koren Publishers, and we were talking about their remarkable growth. You've seen it. I mean, it's, it, compared to what they were 15 years ago, the, the, the difference is enormous. And they and one of the things that they cited were the partnerships they were able to to um, establish and how they realized they couldn't do it all themselves, and they established tremendous partnerships. And I'm just wondering, and I know you're obviously one of the partners, and yep. it's been amazing. That arm of the OU has been incredible over your tenure, to say the least. Uh, but I'm wondering if that's also one of the factors, that you have really been able over the last five years to open up avenues to places where the organization didn't go before and to establish partnerships that allow for growth, even if it's not a 100% OU product or a 100% OU initiative? Sure. Uh, look, partnerships are absolutely critical. They're, they're critical because there are so many wonderful organizations out there doing wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, and it's, it's a waste of communal resources to be reinventing the wheel every time you turn around. Uh, so we, we go in the opposite direction. We're looking to expand the programming that we have done historically where we already have carved out iconic brands, uh, Yahad, NCSY, JLIC, uh, and so on. Those are needs that are not being met elsewhere, but at the same time, we're not going to go into areas where those needs are being met uh, uh, by others who are doing really superb work. We would prefer to partner with them, help them do what they're, what they're doing. One of, one of the programs that we started... Um, about a year and a half ago, uh, which I think is fantastic. We call it um, the Innovation uh, Incubator. Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic, run by a remarkable young woman named Jenna Belzer. Uh, and what we do is to select uh, the, the first cohort, I think, had uh, seven uh, groups participating, start up not-for-profit organizations in the Jewish world. The next great idea. Uh, we take those organizations that are just fledgling organizations, often with either volunteer or part-time heads. We help them grow. We mentor them. We expose them to our fundraising professionals, our communications professionals, uh, HR, accounting. Mm -hmm. We teach them how to become self-sufficient. We give them a little bit of money, uh, as seed money, to help them grow uh, in the hopes that they will get on their feet and do the wonderful things that uh, that they're doing on a more substantial basis. 
So we, we, we see ourselves as, uh, as an incubator uh, for the totality of the Jewish world. And, and there's enormous opportunity out there. Uh, we don't have to occupy every one of those spaces. We would rather partner with, with others. Let me, let me give you one example. Um, we have now established a wonderful partnership with JWRP. Mm-hmm. Um, for your listeners who... Who were completely who independent. Know, completely independent. Right. Completely independent from the OU, an absolutely wonderful organization. They bring primarily moms uh, to Israel, unaffiliated. Uh, they take them on this incredible trip uh, through Israel. and Life-changing. Mo- and it's life-changing right. uh, for, uh, uh, for these mothers. Well, those mothers have kids. And so we partner with JWRP. When the moms go and get inspired, they're going to bring their kids to NCSY. Right. If we have NCSY <laughs> kids whose moms haven't been through that kind of experience. <laughs> they're going to send them to Israel. We, we send them to JWRP. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a terrific kind of partnership, and we're trying to do that uh, uh, all over, and in particular now through our reorganized synagogue and community services department. We now have boots on the ground all across the country, as you know, for example, from your Atlanta broadcast. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Uh, So one of the roles of those regional directors is to know every community organization and group within their region so that they can help facilitate these kinds of partnerships. So if a shul is looking to do a particular kind of program and there's a group in the city or in the region uh, that can help facilitate that, they'll make that connection and bring them together. Pretty amazing. What was incredible about our Atlanta journey was that thousands of listeners never even realized, forget Atlanta for a moment, where people have heard that there's a Jewish community, but we had communities on where people didn't realize there was actually an Orthodox Jewish presence there, and that was uh, just one of the benefits. Um, All right, two last observations for me, and then, of course, if there's anything you'd like to add. Uh, the first is, and you may be the wrong person to ask this to because, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a subjective thing, but it, the impression is that as uh, narrow as Jewish organizations can be in terms of who they attract and who uh, they try to serve, it, it, the, the impression is that over the last five years, more people both right and left feel comfortable under the umbrella of the OU. From your vantage point, would you say that's a, that's a fact? I'm not sure that I can speak for the world. Right. Uh, certainly, it's That's our. Why I your event. It, 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 it's certainly uh, uh, our desire to be as broad a tent as we can possibly be. Um, it's sometimes impossible to be so broad a tent that everyone fits. Right. Uh, we are at the end of the day an orthodox organization and begin and end our mission with Torah mitzvahs. Um, Within that rubric, there's a lot of space. Uh, And I think we've seen it expanding in in every direction. But I I think the... the, um, I I think it's important to, to say that we have this fascination with labeling. Right. Uh, you know, we, 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 we love to, uh, to call ourselves modern, centric, Hasidish, yeshivish. <laughs> we don't know ourselves anymore. <laughs> and, and I think that's the key point, Nahum, is, is that those lines have become so blurred uh, in so many 
areas and in so many manifestations uh, that um, we're not defined, uh, any of us, uh, by the style of our dress or by the nature of our head covering. Uh, we're defined by what goes on in our hearts. Uh, and I think within that, we're, we're seeing uh, uh, really enormous changes in, in, the, in the complexion of the community. Uh, uh, so that some of these fairly rigid and traditional definitions are very, very much breaking down. And so we're, we, we look to provide programming for Jews who want to be inspired. Certainly Jews who are committed to Torah observance. And we recognize our obligations to the enormous number of Jews who are out there who are not yet. And that's a very, very special obligation uh, that we feel we have. And if you look at many of our programs, the vast majority of their participants uh, are unaffiliated. Right. Pretty amazing. And finally, um, I, mean, I say this to you every single time, but I, I also brought it up to you the moment you walked in here this morning. You have this, I, for whatever it is, whatever the blessing is, whatever the capabilities of the organization are that, that make this happen, you have the unbelievable privilege of not only being surrounded by some of the most talented people out there, and frankly, I can give you a whole list, if you wanted, of people I've met over the last few years, young and older, who are affiliated with the OU. Um, but it seems that every time a very talented person, not necessarily younger, but often yes, a talented person becomes available, you, like the good NFL franchise, <laughs> leaps on the free agent <laughs> and is able to bring them in and incorporate them somehow <laughs> in your team. So I would say now, in 2019, your team is even better than it was over the last couple of years. Well, thank you, and I couldn't agree with you uh, more. It's the great joy of this job. It's the great privilege of, uh, of this job to come into contact uh, with so many not only extraordinarily talented people. There are a lot of talented people out in the world. I've met many of them in my travels over the years. Um, but there are very few that combine their skill and their talent with such enormous passion for the Jewish people and dedication to mission. Uh, and, and that's what I find to be extraordinary. Uh, you know, for, for close to 40 years, I was working in a law firm, a firm that I ultimately came to, uh, uh, to manage. Uh, and the motivations for people to excel in a profession, like right. the practice of law, are right. very, very different than the motivations for someone who is in communal work. Right. Uh, and we're blessed to have not only incredibly talented people, uh, but incredibly dedicated uh, uh, staff uh, who give their heart and soul. And I, I was saying to you just before we, uh, before we started, we're, we're seeing this over and over among our young people in particular, many who might have thought about going into the professions, being a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or an accountant, are now thinking very seriously yeah, which is about going into some kind of communal work, 
we hear from them constantly. We see them constantly. Don't tell their mothers. <laughs> well, I think joke, just a traditional Jewish joke. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is. Although it's interesting because I think even the mothers are feeling very. They're very bending proud. a little bit on this. <laughs> they're, they're not just bending; they're feeling very, very proud that they've been able to raise children uh, who feel so deeply and so passionately about doing good things. Uh, and we are the we at the OU are enormous beneficiaries well, of that pool sure. of talent. As is if, the Jewish community. If, yeah. if, if you want to see the community at its best, we run every year, we, we do uh, recruiting for NCSY advisors and Yachad advisors. Right. Um, when is signing season? When is that around, around it, now? It, it's usually right, right after school starts. Ah, I got it. Right, right early, early September. <laughs> and, and part of that is we, we, we do a program at, uh, at Yeshiva University. Their undergraduates and uh, the young women from Stern uh, come sort of enjoy like that fair. program. Right. Uh, if you want to see 500 young people in a room, each one of them desperate to do something meaningful for the Jewish people, and you want to think about what's the future of our community going to look like, it's just sitting right there. It's unbelievable. And it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that there are all of these fantastic and talented people out there who are prepared to share their time and their energy and their talent. All right, I know we're way over time, and I think I did promise to get you out of here after 20 minutes, so I am completely in violation. But but humor me for a moment. What's more fun, leading one of America's largest law firms or leading one of the most historic Jewish organizations, frankly, probably in Jewish history, I think we could say? Probably the thing that's most fun is taking care of my grandchildren. But uh, <laughs> so baby, babysitting's a good one, huh? <laughs> um, it's 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 very very different um, in some ways and very similar in others. Uh, uh, did did you wake the, up in the morning running to go to work the way you wake up in the morning running to go to work now? I think I wake up faster now. Right, that's to, what I would to, think. The, 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 the satisfaction of, of, of knowing that we're building something uh, that will help sustain not only our community, but the totality of the Jewish people out into the future, I can't imagine anything more exciting and more rewarding. And describe the pressure, again, humor me, the pressure and stress of leading one of America's largest law firms. Is it is it indescribable? The pressure and stress? You know, I, I was I was um the chairman of Proskauer uh for, for six years. Uh and, and then in the management of the firm uh, uh until I retired. Uh probably the most stressful time uh was during the economic downturn in oh six, oh seven. Right. Um, where I used to call myself the psychiatrist-in-chief. Just dealing with the staff? Just dealing with, with the staff, with the, with, with the lawyers in the firm who were, who were facing enormous uh, uh, pressure, uh, and knowing that you were responsible for the livelihood of several thousand uh, people, um, many of them type A personalities, uh, and trying to keep it all on an even keel, uh, I found that to be enormous, uh, enormous pressure. 
the, the pressure in this job is very, very different. Um, obviously, we're concerned about the livelihood of sure. our employees. Thank God uh, uh, they all get their paychecks on time. Um, but, but the pressure is different. And, and, and the pressure is I, I wake up every morning and go to bed every night knowing that there's more that we could do and we can't that there's one more kid out there that we can bring into NCSY and we haven't, that there's one more young adult out there that we can take on a birthright trip and we haven't, that there's one more college kid on campus who's going to get lost that we can bring in or bring back and we haven't. That's a very different kind of, of, of pressure. It's this constant feeling that as successful as we've been, that we're still failing. Um, and and that God's going to be very unhappy with us because we didn't do it all. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a that's a pressure that uh, is is very very difficult to uh, to describe. Uh, we're, we're delighted with what we've done, but we acutely recognize what we haven't. Unbelievable discussion. Uh, can't thank you enough. Wish you a big Mazel Tov after five years. Is this a uh a term limited position or is this one that as far as the leadership of the organization goes you could stay in for a while it's uh, i think it's going to be term limited by my wife <laughs> <laughs> the, the ultimate decisor huh? the ultimate decisor <laughs> but there's no uh there's no, no end in sight let's put it that way right <laughs> i'm not uh, i'm not so sure i think at uh, at at my age um i'm going to uh, uh need to think about it uh, uh very very seriously wow all right uh with that in mind i would think that you're you have a keen eye on some of the younger people out there who might have tremendous national leadership skills i I would i would hope knowing the way you think i would hope that that's always going through your mind we think about succession planning constantly in in in, uh in all of our operations i think it's the uh it's probably one of the most important tasks of a CEO and responsibility and responsibilities to make sure that leadership has has continuity. I think the the good news here is that the the organization is now on a very very firm, solid footing, financial and otherwise. Uh, our programs have expanded enormously, and uh, this is just a great opportunity for whoever ultimately. Um, uh, takes on my role, just a, a great opportunity not to have to clean up what's there, but to build on what's there and to continue this wonderful legacy. And the way you describe the, uh, I guess we'd call it the solid footing of the organization, I think the people around the country feel it. I think the people in the community uh, feel the difference between now and many years ago. So that's that's a good feeling, knowing that the average person out there is getting the idea that the uh, the OU is doing great work and really moving forward at a tremendous pace. Baruch Hashem. Alan Fagan, I thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you personally for everything and uh, for the recognition and role that you've given us here at NSN and uh, continued success, uh, no matter how short or long your tenure continues as executive vice president. <laughs> thank you very much. Nothing. More coming up, a very, very special Wednesday morning discussion. With Alan Fagan, Executive Vice President of the OU for the past five years, I thank you all for tuning in. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
הייתי רק ילד קטן, אבל מה שאז קרה, לא אשכח לעולם. בן אדם, מישהו גדול וחזק, חטף מידי ענק, שנתן לי אהבה. אוי, אבא, מה תגיד? האם תסלח, האם תגביל? זה כואב לי. I la 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 la
Sylvia, I understand you were on the continent. That's right. Did you get to Rome? Certainly. Well, what did you think of the Colosseum? All right, if you like modern. <laughs> <laughs> JM in the AM, Wednesday morning at nine minutes before nine o'clock. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. Tomorrow, Rabbi David Bashevkin's going to join us. He's out with a uh, brand new book entitled Sin Agog. Sin and Failure in Jewish Thought by David Bashevkin tomorrow morning right here at JMN. Plus a, a Sarachek preview. Sarachek tournament is going on at Yeshiva University. Inviting high schools from around the country to participate. That's happening this week. Starting this week on Thursday tomorrow. We'll do a preview tomorrow with our friends from Max Live here at uh, JM in the AM. Should be interesting to say the least. NSN on the road in Israel last week, sponsored by Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. And a big shout-out and mazal tov to Aaron's because Hava Java is open this week at uh, Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, New York. Hava Java, check them out. Enjoy their delicious offerings. They are now at Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, New York. Um, what else do I have here? Tuesday. Don't forget Tuesday. We're at Kushner. We're at the, um, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. We're at the, um, at Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy this coming Tuesday, broadcasting live for a pre Purim celebration at the Kushner schools. That should be a lot of fun just before Tanis Esther and Purim. So make sure to be tuned in. Um, on Tuesday morning, I mean, every morning, but you get my point. Make sure to be tuned in Tuesday morning for a wonderful broadcast from one of the wonderful schools in our community. So we'll be at the Kushner Schools in Livingston, New Jersey on Tuesday, and we are very much looking forward to it. Um, all right. A little bit of an Adar selection from Yehuda Green at JM in the AM. Do I 
JM in the AM with Yehuda Green, Vinahapohu, in this month of Adar, JM in the AM. Uh, again, a reminder, next week we'll be at the um, Kushner School, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. Uh, that'll be Tuesday uh, here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in, and obviously, uh, if you're near the Kushner School on Tuesday, get ready, Livingston, New Jersey, for us. Here at JM in the AM. Should be a great pre-Purim visit and celebration at the Kushner Schools. Uh, coming up, Bite Size with Yoni Pollock. Fun in Jerusalem's uh, Joanna Shepson will introduce marathoner B.D. Deitch and her Aunt Hadassah Pardes in advance of the Jerusalem Marathon. And Tova in Israel's Tova Heller is joined by Jeremy Gimpel, host of Israel Inspired. That's all happening during... Um, uh, bite Size coming up next between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. right before Avrami and the live lunch uh, Wednesday here on the Nachum Siegel Network. So there's a lot coming up. Make sure to keep it right here on NSN. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Wednesday here at JMM. My thanks to Alan Fagan. Tomorrow by David Bashevkin in studio, plus a Sarachek preview, the Yeshiva High School tournament uh, preview with our friends from Max Live. That's all coming up tomorrow as well right here at JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.